0: Welcome back to week six of Dear Synergy. Uh, In this series, Pastor Bronson has begun to take us to say, well, if if our church needed um, a guideline, we needed some information. what would we need to do? I think he began to say, well, you know, here's the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the churches. Let's just see what Jesus said to these churches and let's see what we need to do and you know, make it a lot easier. So that's what he began to do in this series. So today we're in week six. Uh, we're talking about the church of Philadelphia. We're in, in chapter three and we're starting in verse seven through 13. So that's where we're, where we're beginning at. Uh, have you ever had a door of opportunity that was open to you, a door that you knew that you were supposed to walk through, a door that, that, that was wide open and you just wanted to to go through with the joy and see what happens Um, but let me ask you a question to start with before you even think about that have you ever had a door that you really wanted to walk through but it closed in your face I think most of us could say, yes, you know, the opportunities. If we begin to look around, you can imagine an athlete who has trained most of his life to be in in, in the Olympics. And he trained and sacrificed and ate the right things and and made it to the Olympics, got the team and got there. And and right at the end, he was disqualified uh, and heartbroken because of some small technicality that he didn't even know about. Door closed in his face. Or consider the feeling of rejection about being passed over for promotion. Maybe you were uh, uh, did the extra time, you did your, re- your homework, your resources, you, you did all you could do and you knew it was time for you to be promoted and all of a sudden the promotion comes open and you're like, you know it's your time and, and for some reason you get passed over by someone else who usually, uh, we all know, is usually less qualified than we were to take the job but we were passed over, right? Or maybe uh, you were heartbroken, maybe you were your parents, uh, uh, a couple who, who ha- wanted a baby so bad, but you for some reason one or the other couldn't have one, and you, you wanted to adopt, but you know the doors keep shutting in your face. Maybe you're a single person who, who finally met what you thought was the right person, and as you begin to date and feel like, hey, this is the right one, and, and all of a sudden you feel like it's time to get married, and for some reason the other guy or the gal decided that, you know what, they're not ready to get married, and you're broken hearted. So as we as Christians truly believe that God is in control, then we believe that he has the power to open doors and close opportunities to us and that both are beneficial in our lives. Even the doors that close in our lives are beneficial to us. Many times we think, well, we only want the good doors open, but there have been times in my life that I can promise you that I thought I was done over by a promotion or hadn't had the reward that I thought I should. And many times there was times that we, we were praying about buying this or that or, or some big thing and it's just like god just shut the door and looking back i'm so glad that those doors were shut many many times in our face because they are the very ones uh that would have been a, a disaster in my life if god had to kept it that way god opens doors of opportunity for me in 1996 Uh, Kathy and I, after we really came to the Lord, we began to really search for a church because we had grown up in a denomination and, and we both had not lived the life. We had not been the the, the people we, we, we should have been, you know, in church. And, and after getting married, we, we knew the one really, we didn't go to church for years. Uh, I live my life and my testimony I've given you many times, but. But I began to, we began to go to this church that God led us to We began to grow. And one day the youth pastor from that church came to us and he, and, and he talked to Ken. And he said, I want y'all to pray about coming on my youth staff. You know, y'all, you guys are here. You got two boys in the youth group. Um, and we, I really need, you know, you guys on my staff. So we prayed about it and he talked to him again. And he took us through all of the, the, the qualifications that we had to have, what we committed to. He made us commit for a year. And he gave us all these guidelines that we had to do. We had certain things and you know, gifts and talents, and he plugged us, all of his youth staff, into certain areas and stuff like that. So we committed, we prayed about it, and we knew it was the right way to go. And as we would meet and have our planning sessions he had with us, we would always end in prayer. For every time we had a meeting, we would pray together. And it seemed like every time that we got together and we had that prayer meeting, he would, he would ask for special prayer for his father. And I began to pray for his father, I didn't know his name, I didn't even know anything about his father. I didn't know him, so I began to pray for him. But during that time of praying, I began to be so burdened for this man i just I just really i couldn't I couldn't help but not pray for him all the time, and I didn't know what what really the reason was was for him so eventually I was praying, and so I went to him one day and I said, "You know." you're always asking prayer for your father. Is he sick? You know, is is something matter with him? He goes, "No, my dad's not sick. He's just a, he's just a drunk. You know, he's, he's just a man that's far from God. And I'm like, wow, you know, here's a guy and, um, his sister was married to, uh, our music pastor and, and they were just on fire for God. And I knew their mother, but I'd never met their father. And I just couldn't believe that he was a drunk. It just really took me back a few steps, you know? And, uh, as time passed, I continued to pray for him, you know, knowing what he was and what was his issue. And I began to pray and I began to pray and I began to pray always. And I began to be so burdened, it was almost overwhelming. And so finally one day, uh, the Lord told me that I needed to go see him. So I went to the youth pastor and I asked him, I said, where does your father live at? And he goes, why do you want to know that? And I said, well, I just really felt in my heart that I needed to go talk to your father and, and share the gospel with him. You know, just talk to him, just, you know, just get to know him. And he goes, mm, I don't think that's a good idea. In fact, don't go see my dad. And I said, why not? He said, because my dad knows more scripture than most Christians do, than most preachers do. And um, he doesn't like Christians at all. In fact, he hates Christians. And if he even let you in his house, he would probably do it just to throw you out. He would mock you. He would make fun of you. he, He would intimidate you. Uh, He hates Christians. In fact, he's got people that he used to go to church with, family members that they've had, and and other people that he knew as friends would always come to him and try to talk to him, and he would never, you know, never talk to him. So as time went on, I began to continue to pray, and then one day God told me, okay, I want you to go this weekend. I want you to go talk to him. So uh, the youth pastor finally realized that I was going, so he told me where his dad lived, lived, and, and then he stopped praying for his dad, and he started praying for me that God would open the door that God would protect me, that God would show me favor. He wanted his dad uh, backed into the church. He wanted his dad to be a man of God. See so what happened to his dad, I finally found out that with his dad was a, he was a really great Bible teacher and a man of God. He loved God. He was on fire for God. And, and, and the pastor of the church, he was in this little small church, got really jealous because people were really loving his teaching and stuff. And he, he didn't preach. He just taught in his Sunday school class. And the preacher became very jealous of him, and, and, and he finally just kicked him out of the church. And so through that, he, he just hated all Christians. And so as I began to prepare myself and God told me to go on Saturday, I told my wife, Kathy, I said, look, you need to start praying for really hard because Saturday I know I'm supposed to go and talk to, to Glenn. I finally found his name. It's Glenn. I said, I'm going to go see Glenn. So she began to pray. Saturday morning we got up and we ate and did our things. And so after the, the day wore on just a little bit to be sure they were up, me and Kathy prayed together and I headed out to his house. Uh, luckily for me, his wife came to the door and she opened the door. She let me in. She introduced me to Glenn and, and, and here I met this man. He was a character. I mean, really, this is a guy, um, uh, he was just a character. I, I came in and he, he had a, a, a white mustache and a goatee. He had uh, earrings. He had, um, blue jeans and cowboy boots. He was decked out, you know, and, and on his head, he had a do-rag and a beret. And on his beret, he had all these special kind of pins and stuff, you know, for all the different stuff that he, he liked and believed in and all the stuff. You know, it was him. It was his personality. And, and uh, when I went in and talked to him, he, he got up immediately, and he walked over to the window, and he began to walk to the window. And he was looking out the curtain. He goes, uh, my, buddy, my buddy's on his way over to get me. We're fixing to go off today. We're fixing to go uh, loafer, and we're doing stuff, you know. And I said, okay. And I'm sitting there, you know, I'm thinking— and, and just every few seconds, he looked at me. and so said, my buddy's on his way. And he, you know, he was just looking at the door. He said, my buddy's on his way. He's going to be here. You know, basically he was saying, I want you to get up and get out of my house. You know, I think God was kind of showing me favor. He wouldn't throw me out. But he was so uncalledful, I knew he was want me out. And I was sitting there. I didn't know what to say. Um, his wife was just sitting there looking. And um, so finally, I prayed to God. And I said, God, why am I here? What, I, what am I supposed to say today to this man? And before I even knew what I did, I stood up and I just said, Glenn, do you mind if I pray for you? And he just stopped and he looked at me and he walked straight over beside me. He got down on one knee and he bowed and he reached in and he, and he pulled off that do-rag and that beret off of his head and he bowed his head. And as I, I, and as I looked at his wife, there, she was in shock. Her mouth dropped down to about the floor and she was trying to get it up. And I can't even tell you what I prayed. I just, I just, just opened my mouth in a very short prayer. I just began to pray a prayer. And, uh, I can't tell you what I pray, but I know it's something that's a blessing on him. And when I got up, I said, do you mind if I come back and visit you sometimes? And he looked at me, he goes, "No, nah, pal, you can come over anytime you want to. And so to me, that was just the open door that God had gave me. It was a door that God had opened that no man uh, could have got in besides God because other people had tried, other preachers had tried, other family members had tried. But because of people praying for years and years and years for this man. He had been bachelorette for years because of prayers that many saints had lifted up that God had opened the door for me. Why, I don't know. Why he gave me a burden for the man, I don't know. I just knew that when there was prayer asked, I began to pray and that burdened my heart and I know God gave me that burden and we began to do it. So, eventually, after, I, after that, I would go to Glenn's house every week, and we'd begin to talk. And, and, and every week, he, I would walk in, I'd knock on the door, and I'd get in there. And, and uh, he, he was retired, kind of semi-retired, and, and he would sit at this, He had this little bar, you know, the, the kitchen uh, counter that went to the sink and stuff, and it was over, and it had dish stools around. It. So he always sit right there. And I said, come up to the front porch. He had a big bay window. I could always see him sitting in there. And I'd knock on the door, and, and he, his wife did uh, hair and stuff. She had a little shop next door, and he would come open the door and he, he would look at me and come in. He, he would tell me to sit down right there at the bar stool, and he would go to the refrigerator, and he'd always get two beers, and he'd set it down. He'd light a cigarette, and he'd look at me and blow the smoke in my face, drink beer. And then he would go turn the radio on country music, turn it wide open. So, you know, I don't want to talk to you here, so I'll put up with you. But the music was just loud. And his wife would come in from her shop, and she'd say, Glenn, what are you doing? This is a man of God. You don't blow smoke in his face. What are you doing drinking? He was always drunk. He was drunk every time I saw him. And you got that music going, she turned and he goes, look, this is my house. If he wants to come to my house, it's my house, you know. If he don't want to listen to the music and don't want to see me drink my beer, and he don't want to smoke, he can leave anytime he wants, though, you know. He was just a character. He was funny, really. And so, but eventually, Glenn got saved. We continued to talk. Every time I went to his house, though, he would begin to talk about God. He would bring up the subject. I never once mentioned God or anything. I would ask him about, how hey, you're looking for a job, how's your search going. And and one day uh, he got up to go to the refrigerator to get him two beers and always bring two back. And he walked into the refrigerator and he couldn't hardly walk. He was holding on. And I said, hey, man, how's that going with your job search? You know, I've been praying that God would give you a job. How's it going? And and, and he stopped dead in his tracks. and, And he stumbled around and looked straight at me. And I saw a tear run down his face. And he tried to wipe it away before I could see it. And he said, you really do care, don't you, pal? I said, yeah, I really do. I love you. And he turned right back around, got his two beers, and come back and sit down. And see, that was another door that God opened. For the first time, he realized that I wasn't just some Christian coming and beating him over the head with a Bible. I wasn't just somebody that that wanted to tell him he was going to hell, that, that he didn't know God. He already knew that like I did when I was living the same way he was then. I used to be him. And so through all of that, Glenn, eventually, he came to know the Lord. He, he, each time we talked, mean, he was, he was a mighty man of God. He repented from his sins. He came back to Jesus. He was the on, most the on-fire the on man for God I've ever met in my life. He was back to who he used to be, man. He was excited for God. He, he was, and he was the biggest cut-up you've ever seen. He didn't meet a stranger. We would be walking in Walmart. Me and him spent all the time. He became my best friend. And he became my mentor in the Lord. I had been praying for years for a mentor. And he became my mentor, and he began to teach me stuff. And, and he was like, say, he was retired, semi-retired, and, and, uh, and I would go by after work every day. Kathy worked late, and every day I'd go by his house, and we read the Bible, we'd pray together. We'd go places together. We'd go to Walmart, we'd walk in Walmart. He would see a little child in a wheelchair, a little child was sick, and he would stop, hey, do you mind if I pray for your daughter? Can I pray for your son? And he would get on his knees in Walmart, and he would pray for that little child, he would pray for adults, he would pray for all kinds of people. He would tell them about Jesus, you know? But he had a way of doing it. It was just like, I, hey, like he cared, you know. And he taught me so, so, so many things. And we were friends for 10 years, and God finally one day took him home to be with him. Uh, before he left, probably months and months before he left this world, he kept saying, You know, pal, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go home. I'm like, me you are home. He goes, No. I'm just passing through this old world. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go to have my home in heaven, you know? If this is all the world's got for me, if God is through with me, and he felt like God was through with me, he says, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go home be with my Lord, okay? And God one day took him home. It was a a hard day for me. It's been uh, uh, 2006, I think, when God finally took him home. And so I realized how many times God's told Philadelphia, Philadelphia, the church of Philadelphia, is actually known as the Church of the Open Door. Because God did open doors for ministry for them. So I look at those opportunities. And, and in my mind, I look sometimes. I ask you a question, you know, a while ago. I imagine so many times in my, in my mind, you know, what if I could just sneak up to heaven? And well, while God wasn't looking, you know, I could sneak over to, the, to, the, to his desk and I could flip, flip through the books and, and find Gary Crawford in there where God has written down my name, you know, where God has written down my works that I do for my service and the stuff. And I just want to imagine, I wonder what he's got written in there for me. And almost every time I imagine doing that, I realize that probably when I looked at those books, would I really be pleased with what I saw or would I be disappointed? Would I be ashamed? A lot of times I think, you know, I'd probably be more ashamed than pleased. Because there's been more doors open for me. This one that I told you, the story about Glenn. If I only had one door that I could have walked through, that God would have said, these are all of these doors I'll open for you. And he's opened many doors for me over the years. But that one door, I would choose over all of them. Because it changed my life too. He changed my life. When I was thinking it was me changing his But all it took was just somebody showing the man that they cared. And I can tell you that in churches, you'll get hurt. But you know what? God says, you know, we we need to endure those things. We'll get to that later. So, would I be ashamed? Let me ask you, you, if you were able to sneak up and flip to your name in the books and you read it, what do you think God would have written in there? Do you think you would be pleased, okay? Christ writes an encouraging letter to the church of Philadelphia. And let's take a look at the scriptures more. I want us to go and read. I'm going to read all of the verses here this morning. Then I'll come back and talk about them. So if you've got your Bible or you'll see them on the screen, Revelations 3, we're going to read verses uh, 7 through 13, and then I'll come back and talk about them. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write, these are the words of him who is holy, true and holds the key of David. What he opens, no man can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds, Or your works, some scriptures say. I know your works. I know what the works have you done. I know the service you've done for me, he says. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have a little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my commandment and endured patiently, I will, ke- I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come to this world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Verse 12 says, The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven. From my God, and I will also write on them my new name, and finally, verse 13, it says, "Who has ears? let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." You know as so I look through all the seven of these uh, churches, every single one of those verses at the end, it always said, "Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches." And I wonder sometimes if we don't just let these go, you know, basically Jesus is saying, y'all got ears, I gave them to you. But you don't listen too good, you know. Let's talk about what he's saying here in verse 7. Christ introduced himself as the Holy One. Um, Holiness is an attribute of God and God alone. You know, we're only holy through him. We are not holy people. In fact, we're the opposite. We're born into the sinful world. And we have all these trials and temptations that go before us, and many times we fail. I I can be a test of you myself. I'm not perfect today. I wish I could say, yes, I'm ordained. I'm I'm a licensed minister, and and, uh, I've traveled through this world for a while. I've made a lot of mistakes. i learned from them, and I'm a perfect person. But, you know, I'm far from that. I love God, and I strive to be that perfect person, but I'm just like the rest of you. You There are temptations that face me every day, and I don't make... I don't fall to those temptations today as I used to, but I still have to fight that battle every day. And there's sometimes I still mess up. I don't make the big mistakes I used to, but I'm not a perfect person. And my wife will be the first to tell you that. <laughs> don't believe me, ask her, okay? So God is the true, the just one. Jesus, uh, we find he is reality. Today, they want us to, to, to believe that there's nothing that's really reality anymore, you know? But Jesus is real, he's the real deal. He's absolute truth. In his hands it said that the key, that he had the key of David. The key of David just symbolizes his authority. Jesus has the authority. He, he, he tells us in Scripture when he died on the cross that he went into hell. He, he conquered hell. He actually scripture says that he took the keys away from the devil. You know, you ever, ever realize that Satan doesn't even have the keys to his own home anymore? <laughs> He took them away from. Him. Why do you think he's so mad at us? Because we're made in God's image and he knows that we're going to go to heaven one day. Those of us who trust to trust God and commit our life to him. But he's not. So the keys symbolize that. Okay? It rests with Christ who opens the heavenly places or shuts the heavenly places. He has the keys. Whether we get to heaven or whether we don't, it's up to Christ. You know, we, we do our part. We commit our life to him and he opens the door for us to heaven. Verse 8 says, I know your works. To the church of Philadelphia, it would appear that Jesus was proud of the work they were doing. He said, I know your works, But I want to make one thing real clear. Scripture tells us that we can't earn our way to heaven. We can't do good works. You know, there's some religions that believe that, you know, if I'm this good, if I do this, or if I, you know, if I go serve the community and help in the soup kitchen, or I, or I go do a mentoring program, I can do this or I can do that, I'm going to be good enough to get to heaven. But Scripture is very clear. Jesus said, I know your works, and you got good works. Scripture is clear. Romans 6, 23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see that we can't earn our way to heaven. Works is not what we're to do. But once we're saved, once we commit our life to Jesus Christ, then we are supposed to begin to work for the kingdom. I want God to look at me and say, I see your works and I like them. I want to make my Jesus proud. You know what? He sacrificed everything for me and for you. I want to make him proud. I don't, I don't want to be uh, uh, a little bit proud. I want to make Jesus very proud. Okay? And again, I want to ask you, if you could take a peek, flip over to your name in heaven, and see what Jesus wrote down as your works, would you be proud Semi-proud, ashamed. Where do you think you would be at? I'm not really sure. I'm ready to go and look at that book. Also in verse 8, he says, I have set before you an open door and no man can shut. And what was that open door he talks about? Well, in the New Testament, it has a phrase that is common and it speaks primarily of an opportunity for ministry. See, God opened up the door for, for that church to evangelize those around them. They were a small church, okay? They had a door of opportunity. They had a door of spiritual usefulness for God. See, God begins to look and say, huh, I'm looking for somebody to do something. Who do I choose? Well, we know King Saul, when we talk, read about him in the Bible, they, the, when Israel wanted a king, uh, he was the tallest, the good-looking, the masculine guy. I said, yeah, 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 we will we'll take him. And God gave him to him. He said, you know, that's not the really one you want. Saul messed up miserably, and, and along came David, about 14 or 15 years old, you know, on the battlefield, he once slew a 10-foot giant. God says, you know, I can take this little boy. He's got a little bit of power, but I'll magnify my, my power in him. I'll open the door, and he'll kill a giant. When he got ready to take out the Philistines, one time he used a man named Gideon, and Gideon said, why do you want to choose me, God? I'm the least... Family in the kingdom. You know, my, my, I'm of the twelve. The twelve tribe that I'm from. One of the twelve tribes I'm from. It's the smallest. It's the smallest family. And not only is is my generation the smallest family, I'm from the family that is the smallest. I, 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 what can I do? And God said, "That's the reason I chose you." You know, He, he had an army of ten thousand. God said, "It's too many." Eventually, took it down to, to three hundred, and He took over the whole army. Why did He do that? God uses the weakest because that's when he gets the most glory. When you say, wow, wow, how did that happen? It's because God did it, not anybody else, okay? So being the smallest and the weakest, it would show the power of God in the whole world and in that community, okay? They were the underdog. They were the ones that everybody said, they can't do nothing, they can't do nothing. And Pastor Bronson is saying, you know, what, what can we take away from the scriptures for these churches that Jesus is saying? I think this is something right here that Synergy can take away from, you know, because I believe that the lesson shows us here that, that, that today, Synergy Church is one of the smallest churches in this community. Today, Synergy Church has little influence in our community. People are starting to know our name, but they don't really see the things that we're, we're gonna do. But they're starting to see that we have, but as far as influence in the community, we don't have that much influence today. Synergy has a few resources, but we don't have the resources that we can reach all the people that we want to reach that are far from God today. We, we, we want to be able to help in a community. We want to be a part of the community. We want to sow into the community. That's how we're going to reach people. We want to show the community that we love this community. And that we want to be a part of it. Okay? And so God is going to use us, I believe, with all my mind That he's going to take that we. And he's going to use us to, to magnify us. To open a door. I think he's already opened a door. We wouldn't be here. Spoke to me years ago, almost 20 years ago, he was going to start a church. I talked to you about that before. I knew God was calling me to start a church, but I wasn't going to be the senior pastor. And when my son started this church, and he called me and said, I need your mom to help, he was like, don't need to pray for this. You know, I've been waiting for 20 years. I'm here, I'm all in. Whatever it takes. Verse 9, the believers of Philadelphia were excluded from the Jewish, by the Jewish leaders. So they weren't allowed to even go to the synagogue to worship. Because they followed Jesus. They were followers of Jesus. So they had become Christians. And the Jews didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed that Messiah was coming. But they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Why? Hmm. Why was such an inconsistent... I mean, who, who was this guy? Who was his family? He was a carpenter from... He's he's not like us. He's not royalty. Who is this guy? He can't be the Messiah. Although these guys knew the scriptures, they had studied them their whole life. They knew all about it. They had ears to hear what the scriptures said, but they didn't hear. They even had eyes to see, but they didn't even want to admit they were there. Okay. See, the Christian church was a threat to the Jewish religion. Because every time they realized that they had crucified Jesus Christ, who was the Son of God. And I think deep down in their heart, they had to recognize at some point that he was the Messiah that they had killed. And when they seen the Christians who were following Jesus, who were his followers, and they were continuing to grow. And, and for somehow, they don't know how, they couldn't stop it. Well, they excommunicated them from the synagogue. So these people began to meet in their own. They were small. They were small people. Jesus says in verse 9 that the synagogue leaders... We're not true Jews. What does he mean they were not true Jews? Well, let's let's let Paul explain that in Romans chapter 2. He says, a man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. So what did he mean by that? What he meant was, it's kind of like us today. You can come to church and call yourself a Christian you can show up when you want to or not when you want to and you can go to work and you can act just like everybody else. You can, you can laugh at the dirty jokes. You can tell the dirty jokes. You can, you can get drunk on the weekends like I used to get to and then eventually all the time. I, I, I posed myself as a Christian and today the church is full of people who pose to be Christians. I, I'm a Christian. Outwardly we pose ourselves to be holy and true and pure but in, inwardly we're, we're not acting that way. When nobody's looking, when we think nobody who knows us is looking, you know, we got, we got two sets of friends. Those who are, who are, are, are not Christians, those are. And, and we want to fit in with both. What Jesus says, you're, you're, you're going to be peculiar. You're not going to fit in with everybody. And when I committed my life to God, I no longer had the same friends I had. I tried to reach them. But I knew at the time I was so immature in my faith And I was still fighting the old man that I couldn't hang out with those old friends because they would pull me right in. And I see that happen over and over again. But as I've matured and grew in strength of the Lord, and he's leading me and giving me power that I don't have, you know, he uses me sometimes because I'm the weak vessel. And on my own, I can do nothing. But in Christ, the scripture says, I can do all things. And I realize that. So now I love to go to people who are far from God and share my faith. You know, I don't care if they sit there and drink a glass of wine or drink a beer or get drunk. I'll tell them about Jesus, you know. I can handle that now. I couldn't handle that back then. I just want to share them love. I don't condemn them. I have a job that I go construction sites every week. There are guys who are so far from God, they're in so much sin, and I never once tell them that they're living in sin. I love them. I joke with them. Good, clean jokes. I cut up with them. And God's opened the door for me to talk to them. Most of the time, they come and ask me stuff. You know, what do you think about this? You know, what should I do? Uh, can you give me more information about this? I don't understand this about the Bible. And God begins to open that door, okay? So, so what can we synergy learn from the story today? In many churches across America, there are people, like I say, who attend churches. What we can learn is that we, we can be that, that people, that Christian who, who loves God, and who's not ashamed of God. I don't want to be that person who says I'm a Christian like I used to be and be that hypocrite like the Jews were saying. I want to be the church that goes out. You know, I don't want to be that church. I don't want to be that person that 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 outwardly I'm showing that I'm a Christian, but inwardly I'm I'm am just far far from God. And it takes it takes work. It takes it's a struggle sometimes. Okay. In verse ten, it says the church of Philadelphia kept his commandments to endure. That word endure means to 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 uh, to continue under struggles. You know, when things get bad, when 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 things come against us, when we're we're we're, we're put down from a promotion that we knew we should have had? Do we get? I've seen so many people who who something happens in their life and they just say, well, if that God, God can't be God. He don't love me. He wouldn't do that. And they just turn their back and walk away like my friend Glenn did. But you know what? That's just another opportunity. That's just another time to stand up in the Bible says to to pray for those who persecute you and spitefully use you. It's just another opportunity for me to say, you know what? I deserve that for sure. But for some reason, the door got shut. So you know what? I'm going to take that from God, that it's just an opportunity. And he's got something better for me. And I'm going to say, thank you, God. I'm going to hold on to my faith. I'm not, I'm not turning my back on God. I'm, 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 Listen, I'm not turning my back on God ever again. He loves me. And he has a place for me in heaven. And I'm going to find that place. I'm on my way there. I'm not turning back, okay? Jesus did have no criticism for the church of Philadelphia, okay? In verse 11, Jesus tells the church, I'm coming quickly. So hold on to your crown. Jesus is coming quickly, he says, and the crown they would have. see in those days that they they used the, uh, a wreath, a, a green, you know, uh, the athletes they were they would use these laurel wreaths that they would make, and the athletes they didn't have gold medals like we did now in our they had these wreaths, and also people who were famous in the, in 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 those days, people who were politicians or movie stars or or, or, or just whoever people who were people who thought they were somebody. They, they would take a big column, a pillar. They would take a big column, a big uh, you know, architectural pillar, and they would, they would write their name on it. And they would display it in, in, in the different parts of the city. And people would walk by and see their names on it. They'd say, Oh, yeah, well, here's so and so here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're famous. You know, they're somebody. Those are, those are special people. Well, God's saying, You know, I'm going to write your name on a pillar, on a column in heaven. And I'm going to display you, your name, before all the people who come through heaven. They're going to see that you were somebody special. Why? Because you serve me. You love me. You work for my kingdom. You're a special person. Those people who we recognize in our lifestyles today as politicians and movie stars, most of those are some of the most um, depraved, sick people, do awful things. But we lift these people up in our, in our, in our society today. We, we are the people, God's people who are the ones who should be, be lifted up. Because if it weren't for Christians, this country would already be gone a long time ago. What's happening in our society now is Christians are being put down again in this country. God has always been our protector, and now they're taking God out of everything. And we're, we're kind of cowering down and say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but, uh, you know. We, we, we don't really want everybody to know that I'm really a Christian because, you know, that Christian do not look, they're not looked up to as somebody special today. In fact, you're a fanatic. You're, you're, you're just the whatever. I want to be crowned. I want to be crowned, Jay. Okay. So we're going to get a crown. Jesus tells the church to hold on, to press on, to fight the fight. He says, finish the race, keep the faith, trusting. The reward is closed. Verse 12, like Philadelphia, synergy has a little power, but also like Philadelphia, you got us open the door for us, and no man's going to shut the door. We're going to do some great things in Winder. And we're going to be like a a stone thrown into a a pond. When it hits, the ripples just continue to go out. Not only are we going to have great things here, but I believe God is going to use us to, to change people's lives. Okay? John 10, Jesus declares, I am the door. He's the door to salvation. He's the door to service. So let's be obedient and give God all the glory he deserves. Let's give God the glory that he deserves. This morning... In closing, I just want you just to close your eyes for a second. I know God's calling each of us. What door has he opened for you today? What door has he opened, telling you that to walk through that that synergy has a need? I've drawn you here to this place. It's not by accident we're all sitting in this house today, and those who are serving in the other rooms. What is it that God's calling you to do? He who has ears. Let him hear what the Spirit says. You know, sometimes we get so busy that we, f- we forget to stop and listen to that still small voice, that check in our heart that God's saying, This is what I want you to do. Open your eyes. I, I, this is the way I want to handle our ending today. God said, He opens doors. He says that he's opening the door for service and for, for, for salvation. I don't know. Maybe today you're here and you're, you're someone who is far from God. You don't even know why you're here. Maybe a friend invited you. But you're here because God actually ordered your steps here. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe, maybe you're someone who, is, who, who has been hurt in the church and, uh, years ago, like my friend Glenn was. And you don't really know God. But maybe right now you're feeling something really strange on your heart right now. Like your heart's beating like a million miles an hour. That's the Holy Spirit. And he's telling you that I love you and I've got a purpose and a plan for your life. And I can use you. You may think you're small, but I'm telling you, with my power and my spirit in you, you're going to be powerful. So maybe you're that person. And if that's you today, in just a minute, I'm going to to count to three and I want you just to stand up. Don't be ashamed. Nobody here is going to to condemn you. We're, We're excited for you. It's public. And the other thing is, in just a moment, count of three, if you're here and you never really decided to, to get involved, to serve, we've got many areas. You, 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 you come to this church, you don't even have to join this church. If you want to serve here, you can serve. We'll put you to work today in just a few minutes. We've got a lot of work to do. We're not one of those churches you have to be here for six months and go through ten classes and do all this stuff and write a thesis and then we'll let you do something in church. No, we believe God wants to put you to work. If you're one of those persons and you never really got involved and you feel like God is tugging at your heart right now and you want to commit to do that I'm going to count to three and if you're one of those two people I want you just to stand to your feet. You don't have to come down here I just want, to, I want you to see us making a profession of faith to say hey here I am God I hear you, I hear you, I hear what you're saying I have ears and I'm hearing you speak to my heart. God, I want to answer that call today. Here am I. One, two, three. Is God speaking to anyone today? Okay. Let's just close our our prayer in prayer and let's just let God uh, take us out the rest of this day. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just come before you. We love you. We thank you. We praise you, Father. thank you for for the word, Father, to teach us as a church from these seven churches what to do and what not to do, Father. We give you all the glory for what's happening here in this church, Father. Without you, it would not be possible. Without the calling that you placed on Pastor Bronson, we, we would never have been here. Without the calling that you placed in our lives, we would never be here to come along beside him, Father, because... He can do nothing on his own. With you, he can do all things. But, Father, he has to have a a team. He has to have those to come along beside him, Father. So I am thank you, Father, for those who come to service. I thank you for each family that's represented here today, Father. And I pray, Father, especially that you would come in your power and your glory, begin to rest on these people, Father, these families, individuals, Father, husbands and wives and and singles and, Father, children and, and teenagers, Father. I pray that you would just release a blessing in their life. You would begin to give them good health, Father. You would begin to make them prosperous. You would begin to bring them joy and peace, Father, in this world that brings so much turmoil death and sickness and destruction. Father, I pray that in their lives you will begin to show favor because they love you, Father, and they they have answered a call, Father, to you. I pray that you would just bless them abundantly, Father, more than they can ask or think until you be glory that you're going to do great things in Jesus' name. Amen.